You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning. Good to see you. Um, The month of July is usually a really, really big time of refreshment for me, and this year was no exception. And so uh, I am really, really glad to be back and um, hope you guys are um, doing well. I'm ready for this new season together as a church, but I'm also sad to say, kids, what comes with that is school. So, bummer. Um, And all the moms and dads rejoiced. Um, A foundation is a fundamental or essential base of something. It's it's what you build everything else upon. And um, in the game of baseball... This is a foundation, the T. Um, now, some of you are like, that's a T? Um, they're still making advances in T's? Yes, they actually are, which tells you how important the T is. Uh, the T is what hitting always goes back to, um, whether it's swing mechanics, muscle memory, hand-eye coordination. You can go on and on and on. But if you find any major league hitter Um, that's noteworthy, that's doing well, you will hear them say that they're always going back to the T. Um, Nathan and I, some of you would probably want to poke your eyes out or pull your hair out, but we will sit for 30 minutes at a time and watch videos of guys doing T drills because this is how important it is to hitting. It all goes back to this. Um, So next week... We're celebrating our 20th anniversary as a church, and yet here we are going back to our Foundations series. Why? Pretty simple. We need to constantly be reminded of who we are, of what we are called to do, um, why we do what we do, and probably as important, if not more important, how we are uniquely called to this and called to live this out together as a church. So over these next few weeks, we're going to take a very fresh look at our foundations. And today we're going to begin with the priority of the word of God. Um, In the New Testament, other than Jesus Christ, um, there is no one more significant than the Apostle Paul. And with the Apostle Paul, um, there was no church closer to Paul's heart than the one that was in Ephesus. Paul helped start that church. Well, there was no person closer to the heart of the Apostle Paul than his disciple, Timothy. Um, Paul took Timothy and placed him over the church in Ephesus. So when you read Paul's letters to Timothy, Paul is writing to the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And in what is likely the last letter that the apostle Paul would write before his death, um, Paul gives Timothy some final exhortations for his leadership of the church and for the priority of the word of God over the church. So look with me this morning in 2 Timothy, it's right after 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy, 
Um, And we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 15. In 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says to Timothy, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So right then and there, we get the idea, we understand that one of the priorities that Timothy has as the pastor of the church in Ephesus is that the word of God would be handled correctly, that the truth of God would be communicated consistently, constantly. We'll now look in chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The text that we just read contains what is possibly the Bible's most famous statement about itself, um, about the inspiration of the scriptures. And it's written in the context of continuing, of going on, of remaining in the gospel. So at the end of Paul's life, uh, at the end of this letter, Paul is still coming back to the beginning. Why? Well, because what we believe about the word has everything to do with our continuance in the faith. Let me phrase it this way. What we believe about the word of God determines how we continue walking in the faith. What you and I believe about the scriptures, about the word of God, is going to greatly impact how or whether or not we continue to walk in faith toward the God of the scriptures. What God chooses to do over the next 20 years in and through the life of this church has everything to do with what we believe about the word of God and walking in that truth. No compromise. So Paul says a few things here. Uh, we should be, if, if we are rightly handling the word of truth, if we are placing the word of God as priority in the life of our church and in our own lives, he says that it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correcting and training. Let's break this down a little bit and and dive into a little bit deeper what he's talking about here. Paul, first of all, says that we should be teaching. Um, What do we mean by teaching? Well, it means to pass on knowledge of something, passing on the knowledge of what is right and correct. Well, then Paul says it's profitable for reproof. Um, We don't use that word very often. Um, A word that we might be a little bit more familiar with would be rebuking. It's profitable for rebuking. That means to criticize or to turn back. Um, The word points out 
where we're wrong. So make sure you, you don't lose sight of what Paul's saying here. The word is profitable for rebuking. The word of God is the one, is the thing that criticizes and turns us back, points out where we're wrong. Most of the time that we're called to reproof or we're called to rebuke, this ought to be something that um, weighs heavily upon us. Because friends, the fact of the matter is, as the people of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, there are going to be instances where we have to rebuke one another. A couple of years ago, um, in between the two services, I had someone come up to me and say, Pastor, I need to rebuke you. Are you ready to receive that? And I said, actually, no. Because I just got through preaching and I'm getting ready to preach again. And my spirit is probably really, really low and I probably won't receive it very well. And they were just as caught off guard as I was. When you and I are called to point out, to criticize, to turn back toward what's right, it ought to be something that causes us to spend quite a bit of time on our knees. Lord, I don't want to go to my friend, to my brother, my sister, and deliver this. But because I love them, I'm going to. But it still ought to weigh very, very heavily upon us. Well, then Paul says that the word is profitable for correcting. And this is what I love about Paul. Paul doesn't leave out anything. Because it's not just profitable for teaching, of passing on this knowledge of what's right and correct. It's profitable for correcting. It doesn't just tell us when or where we're wrong. It shows us how to make it right. There's a difference between a teacher handing back a test with all these red marks all over it that basically just says, you jacked this one up, you failed. Great, thanks. But how about when a teacher passes the test back and say, all right, we're going to work through these problems together because I want you to see where you went wrong so that you know how to do it right. That's correcting. And the word of God, through the power of the spirit of God, shows you and I when we step wrong, when we speak wrong, Hey, you might not have wanted to step there or speak there. Let me show you how that might have worked better. The word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and finally for training in righteousness. It doesn't just show us where the gym is. It shows us how to work out. The word of God doesn't just say, well, let me throw out an idea of how you ought to live. See, the word through the power of the spirit and through the power of the people of God walking with one another says, let me show you how to do this. This is why Jesus, he didn't tell the disciples in the great commission, go stand on street corners and just preach. He said, go and make disciples. Go and take someone and show them this is how to walk with Jesus to train them in righteousness. Brian Chappell made this statement, the man of God is super equipped by the word of God. 
The man of God is before all else a man of the Bible. Substitute the word woman, substitute the word child, whatever you want. But the follower of Christ is going to be super equipped by the words of Christ. If you and I want to be a man of God, a woman of God, we will first and foremost be a man or woman of the word of God. This will be the thing that flows through our veins, that comes underneath us, that everything else is built on, that catalyzes the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart, the steps of our feet. So Paul says to Timothy, here's what the word of God is. Now, here's what I want you to do with it. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will, re- will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul is very, very specific in his exhortation here to Timothy. He pounds it home in three words. Preach the word. To preach... What does it mean to preach? It means to set forth or to advocate, to deliver. So what is it that Paul wants Timothy to set forth, to advocate, or to deliver? Some thoughts that he may have on how to live better. Nope. He says, preach the word. Paul never suggested, um, nor did Peter or James or John or Jesus, for that matter, that we ought to do a great sermon series on marriage or finances or how the movies, there's spiritual implications there. Uh, Am I saying it would be wrong to do that? No, I'm not. But I am telling you that what the Word of God says to do with the Word of God is to preach it. We, the pastors here at the Brook, um, you may have noticed, maybe you didn't, we don't ever do a survey like near the end of the summer to say, hey, just want to get an idea of what everybody might want to hear. We don't do that. We don't take polls or surveys or anything else. What happens is, and and I feel like that you need to know this so that you understand and know how it is that we wind up here preaching what we're preaching. It first starts with the responsibility God has placed on me. And over this last month, I've spent significant time studying, studying, praying over, Lord, next year, where do you want us to go? What do you believe, God, that your people, your church, needs to hear? Later this month, the pastors, we will come together 
and we will spend an entire day together um, further praying and studying and working through that. Um, I've shared with you already a couple weeks ago, we already somewhat know where that is through different things that God has affirmed to us. We know that at the beginning of 2019, next year, we are going to walk through Paul's letter to the Romans. What exactly that looks like, we're still praying and working through. But we cry out to the Lord for wisdom and guidance over this. Why do we do it that way? Why not just take a poll and say, hey, just want to know what does everybody want to hear? Well, Paul tells us why in verse 3. He says to you and me that in our flesh, there's a time coming, and I'll just let you know, it's already here. Um, When people won't endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying that left to ourselves, we're always going to want somebody to tell us what we want to hear. We do. We want somebody to tell us what we want to hear. Well, if you look in Acts chapter 20, verse 27... Going back to Paul's love for the church in Ephesus. In Acts 20, Paul is saying goodbye to the elders of this church. He's leaving there and knowing that he's probably never going to see them again because Paul's aware of the fact that his death is imminent from preaching the gospel. And he is charging, encouraging, exhorting those men before he leaves And in Acts 20, 27, he says to them, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What does Paul mean by this? Well, D.A. Carson puts it this way. He says what Paul must mean is that he taught the burden of the whole of God's revelation, the balance of things, leaving nothing out that was of primary importance, never ducking the hard bits, helping believers to grasp the whole counsel of God, the whole of all of the scriptures, that they would themselves become better equipped to read their Bibles intelligently, comprehensively. When we're talking about the whole counsel of God, what Paul is saying here to the elders of the church in Ephesus, there are several things being implied. The whole counsel of God embraces God's purposes in the history of redemption. See, this is why understanding the gospel It's just important to read the book of Genesis as it is the gospel of John. Because we see everything in Genesis, in Exodus, fulfilled in the gospel of John, in the gospel of Matthew. It's all fulfilled in Christ. There are truths to be believed and a God to be worshipped. The whole counsel of God embraces a unpacking of human origin. See, there's a whole lot of different thought that likes to compile itself in this really, really hard-to-eat stew of, well, maybe I could just grab a bit of evolution and a bit of, oh, it all just popped out of nowhere. 
but maybe if God decided to do it that way, then, you know, I can go with that. No, not really, because the word says that God created. And, and so when we understand the whole counsel of God, this gives us an understanding of where we came from. It gives us an understanding of the fall. I, I, I like it. I, I appreciate it when somebody wants to be encouraging and say to somebody else, hey, you know, we're all good people. I, I get where you're wanting to come from and, and go with that, but you're so dead wrong. We're not good people. We are evil and sinful to the core without Christ saving us. And so I need the whole counsel of God to show me how all of that took place and that it, it significantly affected all of the world, all of creation. Um, the whole counsel of God unpacks redemption, destiny, a worldview that shapes all human understanding and a savior without whom there is absolutely no hope. The whole counsel of God um, embraces the conduct expected of God's people, the commandments to be obeyed, and the wisdom to be pursued both in the individual, our individual existence, and in our community as the people of God. The whole counsel of God embraces um, the pledges of transforming power. Um, both in this life and in the life to come. Promises to be trusted and hope to be anticipated. There's no doubt in this room that if any of you in here are married, um, you need encouragement and counsel on what that marriage ought to look like. If you're in this room this morning and you're single, understanding what that singleness ought to look like. Um, if you're raising children, you need to understand what the Word of God says about what raising children ought to look like. But you see, what's crazy is that when you walk through Paul's letter to the Galatians or Paul's letter to the Ephesians or you walk through Exodus or you walk through Jeremiah or crazy enough, you walk through a book like Habakkuk or Malachi, somehow God begins to shed light on all these things. He seems to have this wisdom to know how to guide us and direct us in everything that we need to know and understand. Let's go back to the exhortation and the command to preach the word. See, when we preach through the books of the Bible, which is what we primarily do here at the Brook, when we preach through Genesis and Exodus, the Pentateuch, when we preach through the Psalms, when we preach through the prophets, when we preach through the Gospels or the Epistles, the letters of the New Testament, when we preach through the whole of the Bible, when we seek out the whole counsel of God, what we're doing is we're putting the responsibility on the Spirit of God and the Word of God to determine what needs to be set forth, advocated for, and delivered to God's people. I don't want that responsibility. 
I'm going to lay that back on the Lord. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. There are not many places in Scripture that ought to give more peace to the person placed in responsibility of preaching the Word of God. More peace, um, more intentionality, more drive than hearing and understanding Hebrews 4.12. That the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What does Paul tell us um, in the armor of God that the sword of the spirit is, it's the word of God. And here we are told that the word of God, it's sharper than any two-edged sword out there. So the spirit takes this sword and pierces through every, every little joint and marrow and morsel of our existence and our being. The preacher does no transforming, friends. The word does. Only the word. So there is a reason for what we preach here at the brook, but there is also a reason for how we preach it. In wrapping this up, I want to go with you for just a minute to Acts chapter 6. Earlier this year, in our foundation series... Um, we walk through Acts 2, Acts 4, and Acts 6. And in Acts 6, um, we, we looked at and talked about um, the mandate of deacons um, in the New Testament church, of what God did in the initiating of deacons, what that looked like, why it happened. But I, I want to close this morning and revisit this with you because it's significant and very, very relevant to what Paul's saying to Timothy here. In, in Acts 6, verse 1, it says, In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so the twelve apostles summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas. They set these men before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Uh, it is worth noting that this is not a case of the apostles saying, okay, you guys are bothering us with all this widowed stuff 
and that's just too far above us. That's not important enough for us. Find somebody else to deal with this. That is not at all what Peter and James and John and the rest of the apostles are saying. What is going on here is, when you read these verses, for the numbers of disciples to multiply greatly, which is what they said is happening, the word of God must continue to increase. Go back and look at verse 7. The word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. For the word of God to continue to increase, it must be held as first priority. What Peter and the men are saying is, We're being distracted from what God has called us to do among and with and in the lives of his people. And so we're not doing any of it well. This is what God has called us to. It would be a mistake to think that the main overarching priority of Acts chapter 6 is people's needs. Don't get me wrong. People needed to get their food, obviously taking care of widows, we understand and know is a priority because it's put there in front of us all throughout the New Testament. But what Acts chapter 6 is really saying is that the ultimate priority of the New Testament church, the priority is the word of God. For the word to increase, it must be held as first priority. It would be a mistake to see the ultimate priority of deacons as simply meeting people's needs. What deacons are ultimately doing is walking alongside pastors and elders and aiding and supporting the ministry of the word. Over the next few weeks, um, as we celebrate the first 20 years and look forward to the next 20 if the Lord gives us that many, Um, We're going to put some very, very important, simple, foundational phrases in front of you that really define and characterize um, our values, our mission, our priorities as God's church. I laid these out back in December when we met together for our annual vision and business meeting. But this morning, I want to simply state to you that as a church, we are committed from now until the moment the Lord returns to teach the word, no compromises. The word of God must be a priority uh, in us, through us, among us. It will determine how we walk in the faith together. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we ask you to give us a renewed hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, we pray that you would empty us of any um, false desire fleshly desire for self-righteousness. Lord, that we would understand that 
we have no righteousness on our own. But Lord Jesus, that you have come to save us, to bring us from death to life, to renew us. Lord, you have called us to preach, to speak, to declare um, the hope of the good news of what you have done, of who you are. Lord, would you take us back to the joy of our salvation? Lord, we want hearts that cry out to you like Psalm 119. Lord, that we would be able to just very, very genuinely say, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all day. To know that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. To not just say, but to to truly rise before dawn and cry for help, Lord, because my hope is found in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Lord, would you make us a people who hunger and thirst for you? Uh, Over these next moments, as we respond to the Lord, if you need to come to the foot of the cross or to the steps and just make that an altar, we invite you to come. Lord, we pray that the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart, that the songs that we sing, Lord, that these things we declare together, Lord, that they would bring glory and honor to you. Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's stand together as we worship. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.